Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, today, I, uh, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 7. Thank you. Luke chapter 7. And uh, as you're turning, before I, we get there, um, as you know, we're having uh, Ken Walesco has been an elder for uh, six years, and according to our bylaws, his term is up at the end of January, so we will greatly miss him. Um, but with that, we're bringing on two new elders. Uh, we're bringing on James Akarczyk and... Um, um, Dave Mara, and where is Dave? Dave, if you would come up and just have a seat. I, I just wanted to uh, just kind of, you can call it public praise, whatever you'd like to call it, and we don't really do this too often, but um, I just want to brag on Dave uh, for all that he does at our church. You can come on up, have, have a seat. Yeah, come on up, have a seat. Uh, I just want to brag on him uh, for what he does. He does a lot of stuff that, that a lot of us never know about, uh, he was the first person that I ever met when I came here to this church and uh, six years ago or, or five years ago and just does a lot of great stuff and uh, behind the scenes stuff, his wife Shanna as well and um, I don't I don't know what you're what you're doing uh, this I'm, this is you're interrupting the service you can do this later Dave, if you knew who she was and what kind of girl she was and what she's done, I, I, I apologize. I'm sorry. This is embarrassing. I'm so embarrassed. If you, okay, th- I mean, really, this is, you can do this later. This is embarrassing. This is, this is inappropriate. I mean, th- you can do this privately. I don't know what, what, what she's doing or what she's saying. Dave, really, you should know better than to know someone like her, her past, what she's done, what she was doing this past week. Uh, th- I, guys, I'm sorry. I, really, that's this is enough that's that's just too this is too much I I'm sorry I if you want to turn to Luke chapter 7 36 through 50 let's give him a hand hopefully that was awkward for you because that's what we were going for Luke chapter 7 verse 36 through 50 maybe uh, you've heard this before, but Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 7, I'm sorry, 36 through 50. Once you're there, as we read God's word together, if you'd stand. Luke chapter 7. What you just saw actually happened two different times to Jesus. It's recorded in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as well, but two different occasions. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, she was a prostitute, when she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought in an alabaster box or flask of ointment or perfume. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the oil or perfume. 
Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were really a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 and the other 50. When they could not repay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which do you think would love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus answered to him, You have judged wisely. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who can even forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is truth, that is life-changing. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your word with joy today. Not just to hear a sermon, but that would shape and mold our life in a way that we would honor you. That this message would produce fruit in our life that's pleasing to you. We give this sermon to you. We ask that you would anoint these lips of clay and flesh, that they would be your words and not mine. We love you and we thank you and we're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. This happens in Matthew chapter 26 and it also happens in the Gospel of John and Mark records it as well. Two different occasions. Um, the other two occasions in the other Gospels are recorded the Monday before uh, Good Friday or Jesus' execution. And they're two different women. They're two different set, uh, sets of circumstances. Um, and Jesus, both times, is reclining at the table. Now, in that day and age, they didn't, when they say recline at the table, they didn't do what you and I do at Thanksgiving and lean back and kind of maybe undo the top button because you're so full. They didn't sit in actual chairs. They leaned back. They, they would lean with their left arm and their feet, kind of like spokes on a wheel, would be poking outward, and then they would reach into the table. They would, they would kind of lay down on these big pillows, like beanbags kind of a thing. And they would sit there, they would lean with one arm, reach with their right hand, and feed themselves with the right hand. And the guest of honor, who is Jesus at this, at Simon the Pharisee, the Simon the Pharisee most likely was a very wealthy guy, and Jesus is the guest of honor. Therefore, the guest of honor always sat to the right of the owner of the home, or the one throwing the banquet. The banquet or the party was in honor of Jesus. And so what you have is uh, Simon and then the Pharisee and then Jesus who his head would be really right next to Simon's head or right next to Simon's chest but they were close together and they're both kind of leaning on this pillow and their feet are kicking out and that's why the Bible says that she came up behind Jesus and began to weep profusely, weep uncontrollably beyond uh, normal, beyond the, the point that she couldn't contain herself and she is weeping so much that the dust that was caked around Jesus' feet begins to fall off and now there's a pile of kind of this muddy goo from Jesus' feet on the floor at Simon's house. 
Simon, uh, again, Jesus' back is to Simon, but he can see his head and his face. He sees this display. He's utterly ashamed for a couple of reasons. As a good, clean Jew, as a good, clean religious person, you're not supposed to associate with prostitutes. Nonetheless, Simon, this woman has come in, and because she, this woman has entered his house, woman, women typically didn't eat with men, so that's strike one against her. But because this prostitute, who is an unclean woman because of the sin in her life, entered his house, now his house is unclean. Now the utensils and the things that she touches, everything is unclean. His house that he, he took great concern to be pristine, to be clean, to be holy, to be pure. This woman has come in and not only uh, done faux pas number one of crash the party and she's not supposed to be in here with men, but number two, she by her very presence in the room has defiled and degraded the entire room and everyone there and all of Simon's house. Everything that he worked so hard to do to make clean and to make pure, she in one moment has defiled and made it filthy, full of sin. As this is going on, Simon sees this and he's disgusted. He's outraged for a lot of reasons. He, now I have to go through and purify my house again. And that's going to take a lot of time and effort and energy. But more than that, this, this man who I'm throwing this, this party for, if he was really a prophet, I mean, if he was really a man of God, if he really knew his stuff, if he really knew the Bible, he would know that this woman is a prostitute. Which, on a side note, begs the question, how did Simon know she was a prostitute? But that's another, another sermon. How in the world does she come into my house, crash my party, and if this guy was really a man of God, he would know what kind of woman she is. Jesus hears this and he gives the parable, the story, the example of there's, there's a man, that, that, that two men that owe debt to one man. One is 50, one is 500. The man cancels both. Who loves him more? Well, obviously, common sense, the answer is the man that had the larger debt. And Jesus said, Simon, just because you were raised in a good Christian home, just because you went to church all your life, just because you never messed with bad, evil, sinful things, does not mean that, that because this woman who had a completely different upbringing than you is less valuable in God's eyes than you are. Doesn't mean that because you try to keep yourself uh, outwardly pure and clean and she was the total opposite of you that I don't love her, that God doesn't have a plan for her. In fact, Jesus says it's the opposite. She knows the value of my love. She cannot relate to the price of my love in a way that maybe you never can because of the place that she was before, the place that God has brought her from and to where she is now. Maybe you can never relate to someone who has been in jail or been on drugs or had their life upside down or filed for bankruptcy or been through a divorce or been through a death or or all these horrific things in life and sometimes it might be hard for you to relate to them and we got to be careful as quote Christians because when it's hard for us to relate to people who have hurts and pains in life before you know it we're just like Simon and we begin to judge them we begin to look down our righteous nose at them just like Simon well that's not in my notes today but the first thing we want to look at, the title is Priceless Worship. 
the courage to worship in a room full of critics. I love this woman. Jesus says, again, different situation, but in Matthew 26, the Monday night before, you know, Good Friday, before he's to be executed, Mary comes in and does the same thing. And it says the fragrance filled the room and the disciples, Judas, criticized her saying, they could have spent this money, it's the alabaster box, they could have spent that money of that perfume, which cost several thousands of dollars. It was a full year's worth of wages. So for us today, roughly $40,000. Could you imagine buying $40,000 worth of perfume? And yet, as she is performing this act of worship to Jesus, she's in a room full of critics. Everybody else is there to kind of observe Jesus. She's there to worship. Everybody else is there to criticize Jesus, as Simon does, and what kind of woman is this, and who do you think you are, and you can't forgive sins, and if you are really a prophet, everybody else in the room, especially Simon, is criticizing Jesus, but there's only one person in the room that's worshiping Jesus, and that's this woman. And she is worshiping to a level that I don't know how many of us can relate to. I don't know how many of you have been in a situation that You've had the courage to worship in a room full of critics. Maybe sometimes people say, why do you lift your hands and worship? That's weird. You know, if everybody in the room knew what you were doing last night, you wouldn't be singing, you'd be hiding. You know, if your family, if your friends or your coworkers saw you this morning singing those songs and and lifting your hands and praying to God, they would be so embarrassed to even know you. Do you really think God is listening to you? Do you remember what you were doing a couple months ago? Do you think God is hearing you right now? I mean, get real. Do you really think that God can still love you after what you did last week? After what you said? After where you went? Do you really think God is going to listen to you? God can still love you or forgive you? Maybe you've thought about this or you've had somebody say this, but you can sing all you want, but this problem isn't going to go away. You can worship all day. Sometimes the enemy says that in our life. You can sing, you can shout, you can dance, you can raise your hands, you can sing all these great Christian songs. You can try to worship, you can try to pray, but do you really think the problem is going to go away? No, it's still going to be there. As soon as you're done singing, as soon as 12 o'clock and the church is over, the problem is still going to be there. So really, you're just kidding yourself. Do you have the courage to worship in a room full of critics? And sometimes those critics come from those closest to you. Sometimes those critics are your family, are your friends. I don't know why you go to church. Would you just quit? Would you just give up? You know, church attendance in America is on the decline. So why don't you join the trend? Why don't you be like everybody else? I mean, we're enlightened. We don't need this stuff. I mean, let's let's go to, to science and not believe all the hokey pokey of the Bible. I mean, come on. You know, if, if everybody in your church really knew your past, I mean, hey, I know your past because I was there those days. I know your criminal record. I know where you've been. I know what you were doing. I know your past. And if everybody in your church did, they wouldn't want you back. Do you have the courage to worship in a room full of critics? Whether that critic is your family, your friends, or even the enemy in your own life. And how many times have you been in a worship service, whether it's one like this or a different one, you're trying to worship God or you're just trying to pray on your own and all of a sudden this criticism comes in your mind. No one's around you, but it's the enemy, it's the devil beginning to criticize and plant those thoughts in your mind. Do you really think God's listening after what you did? God can't forgive you for that. She had the courage to worship when everybody else was criticizing. 
Pure worship doesn't care what the critics say. It only cares about blessing and thanking Christ for who He is and what He's done. Pure worship says, Simon, you can say all you want. And I want you to think about this. As much as Simon criticized her, and as much as in the other time that this happened in Matthew 26, when Judas criticized her, as much as that happened, and criticism is continually taking place, it doesn't stop her. You want to talk about a powerful woman? This is a powerful woman. All the criticism in the world, even of a PhD in theology, righteous of the righteous holding guy, Simon the Pharisee, a wealthy, powerful man, even all of his criticism could not stop her from worshiping Jesus. I mean, you almost get the idea, and she's too powerful of a woman to do this. She's too good of a woman to do this, but she's weeping and she's drying Jesus' feet with her hair and she's anointing his feet with this oil that she bought. And as she's doing this and Simon's criticizing her, Judas criticizes her, the other disciples even criticize her, you almost get the idea that she could lift her head up and say, you can criticize all you want, but I'm going to keep worshiping. This is between me and him. I'm just tuning you out. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. This is between me and him. You don't know where I was. You don't know where he found me, what he rescued me from your criticism won't stop me because all I care about is blessing and thanking him for what he's done in my life do you worship despite the critics or do you stop worship because of them do you worship despite what critics say despite the negativity despite those thoughts of the enemy in your life do you let that stop you or do you worship in spite of it do you spectate? Do you participate? You only have option to do one. In this, in this room, when that took place, there was, I'm sure, dozens, maybe scores of, of, of men, but there's only one worshiper. In a room full of people, there's only one. Where I've been in churches like that. I've been in Christian small groups like that, Bible studies, whatever, where you can have a room full of hundreds or thousands or tens of folks, and there's only maybe one or two true worshiping people in the room. Just because you have the title of Christian doesn't necessarily mean you're a worshiper. Simon was a Pharisee. He was a God-fearing man. He could quote the Bible better than anybody in this room. But yet, doesn't mean he was a worshiper. When Jesus was in his house, he still didn't worship. Think about that. Jesus came into his own home. And instead of worshiping or being in awe, oh my goodness, here's the creator of the universe, the one that made me, the one that does these amazing miracles. He is in my house. I am excited. This is incredible. He criticizes. And yet, the woman who most likely shouldn't have been in that room was there, and really, she's the only worshiper. It's amazing. Spectators can judge your worship. Pure worship blesses him. It doesn't care what time it is, where you are, or what other people say. Pure worship has very little to do with the music, but everything to do with the condition of your heart. Remember, there's no music going on in Luke chapter 7. There's no music. There's no song. There's no how great thou art or amazing grace or whatever song you like. None of that. It's the sound of men eating food, and it is abruptly interrupted by this awkward, sinful uh, you know, horrible life past of a woman to come in and men begin to grumble amongst themselves and, and again, like you kind of wonder how Simon knew who she was, but nonetheless, and they begin to grumble. She's a worshiper in a room full of critics. 
pure worship is focused solely on Him for who He is and what He's done in your life. And just like that alabaster box, she couldn't keep the worship inside any longer. It had to get out. Notice that. I love what Luke says. He says, and when she learned where Jesus was, she crashed the party. I'm not supposed to go in that house. I mean, it's, I'm not supposed to be around men uh, in their home, and I'm not supposed to be especially in a Pharisee's house, but I can't contain it any longer because the worship of what he has done for me on the inside has got to come out. It has got to be an explosion. I just can't contain his goodness to myself anymore. I can't hold back anymore. He's too good. He's brought me too far. He's too faithful. He's blessed me too much for me to be concerned about proper protocol and being politically correct. I've got to worship whether I'm the only one in the room or not. I've got to worship. If, if Simon criticized me, so be it. If they have to haul me out of the room and kick me back on the street, that's fine. I'm, I'm comfortable in the streets. I've got to worship whether I'm the only one or whether I'm joined with hundreds. I don't care what other people do. I don't care what other people say. I've just got to worship for who he is and what he's done in my life. He's been too good for me to keep it bottled up just like that perfume worship is between you and him and it doesn't concern anybody else some of you are maybe like me you're a little more loud you're a little more boisterous you're a little more animated in your worship that's great some of you are a little more quiet you're a little more reserved you might bow your head and but nonetheless you can still feel the presence of God just as much in that quiet moment as I can shouting and dancing and lifting my hands and, and however I carry on worship my worship to him it doesn't matter who you are or what you think or what you say or I'm the pastor I, it doesn't matter to me worship is between me and him and only I can worship him for what he has done in my life you can't worship him for what he's done in my life only I can you don't know where he brought me from you don't know where I was two years ago or five years ago or last week or last you don't know how he's blessed me abundantly he's never just met my need he's always exceeded my need and so you can't worship him like I can because it's between me and him criticize me all you want say that well you're too quiet well you're too loud well you're distracting you can say it all you want but I'm gonna worship I'm gonna focus on him he's been too good to keep it bottled up it doesn't concern anybody else don't let other people stop you from worship I love this woman I can't wait to meet her in heaven she had the courage to worship in a room full of critics that's priceless worship and priceless worship goes from chains to celebration. Look at verse 37 39. And behold, a woman of the city, and, and I love Luke. Luke gives us more detail than the other writers of the, of the gospel. And behold, a woman of the city, which is Luke's very uh, polite kind of Christian way of saying she was a prostitute. A woman of the city, and if you didn't understand that, she was a sinner. So Luke tells us twice how bad of a woman she was. When she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought in an alabaster flask of ointment. Now skip down to verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And again, because she is unclean, because she's a prostitute, just because she walks in the room, now she's made Simon's house unclean. But more than that, here Jesus is this uh, godly prophet, this godly uh, man of God. We don't know that Simon believed he was the Messiah, but, but he believed on some level that he was a prophet until this moment. Because a prostitute touches Jesus, now Jesus is ceremonially unclean. 
He can't come into church and worship. He can't come to the temple and worship. He has to go through all these rituals. He has to like burn his clothes and take a bath and all these things before he can come back into God's presence. So Simon criticizes saying, you really must not be who you say you are. But pure worship takes our chains into celebration. I want you to think about this. And, and I brought cologne from my house. I don't wear cologne very often. Uh, I don't need to. I'm already married. But um, nonetheless, I, I uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I'd wear cologne so much it entered the room three days before I did. So I kind of learned the lesson. But, but uh, you know, this alabaster box, it was an alabaster flask, and, and it was uh, an ointment of pure nard, which is very expensive. So I want you to imagine it'd be a little bit bigger than this. It'd be worth roughly between thirty to $40,000. Now, when you think about a couple of things, just on a practical level, how did she get the money to pay for that box? Where did she get that money from? Turning tricks on the street Friday nights, Saturday nights. Where did she get the money to buy $40,000, a whole year's worth of money? Her whole salary. You think about all the, the, the degrading, sinful things this woman had to do to afford that box. Where did she get that money? From men paying her to do sexual favors, if you will, on the street. How did she afford, think about this, how could she afford her worship to Jesus? It was through her sin. It was through being a sinful woman. And she took all that money that that sin had bought her and she took that right at Jesus' feet and she smashed it. Then she took the ointment from the inside and began to wash his feet. I want you to think about something else. What did she use the perfume for to attract men? So think about this. This very box, this jar, this alabaster, which was a, a soft uh, material, soft rock. This alabaster box, how'd she get the money? By being a prostitute. What'd she use it for? The perfume? to continue being a prostitute. And yet one day in her life, she says, enough's enough. I'm tired. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of my life is on a downward spiral. I can't see up. I can't, there's no hope for me. It keeps going down and down and down. Enough's enough. I've heard Jesus preach. I've heard him talk. I, I've, I've seen him before in person. And so now I'm going to take my livelihood. I'm going to take the very thing that is the sin and shame in my life. The thing that is disgusting. The thing that repulses certain people. The thing that makes me unpure. The very thing that prevents me from going into the temple, into God's presence. That very thing that I spent a year saving up for to continue my livelihood I'm going to take it and break it at Jesus feet from chains to celebration this is an amazing woman she takes her sin she takes her shame 
and she smashes it at the feet of Jesus. But not only that, I mean, that's powerful enough. Like, that could preach on its own. We could end today with that. But she goes a step further. She doesn't just smash it at Jesus' feet. She takes it. The thing that once brought her shame, the thing that once alienated her from God's presence, the thing that made her unclean, the thing that, that, that was a sinful livelihood, she not only breaks it at Jesus' feet, but she takes it and anoints his feet. You need to understand at times in your life, the, the sin of your past and the shame of your past, when you can take that and come to his presence and come into to his feet and you smash it, but you don't just smash it there, but you say, Father, I know I've sinned. I know that what I've done is wrong. I know that I'm unclean. I know that I've, I've got sin in my life and I am sorry. And God, I'm breaking my livelihood before you. I'm breaking my past before you. I'm breaking the sin. I'm breaking the thing that sets me apart. I'm breaking it before you. And God, I want to anoint your feet with the sin that I've committed. I'm sorry. Forgive me and change me. She broke it so that she could never go back to that again. She was changed from chains to celebration. Pure worship takes your greatest shame and turns it into your greatest praise. As I've told you many times before, I grew up in, in the Midwest and um, and the county that our church was in was the number one county in that state for drugs and methamphetamine. And, and uh, I'll never forget, we'd have drug dealers, it seemed like almost every, every week. Um, it was very kind of poor, uh, blue-collar community. And uh, they'd come every week and seemed like get saved. And boy, just to hear them worship was just amazing. And I think about this passage a lot. And uh, it was just incredible. And I can remember them thinking and, and talking and telling their stories and their testimonies about how God took their greatest shame, the thing that they were so ashamed of, and now they broke it at Jesus' feet and they gave it to him and they're never going back. What was once something that defiled them, that set them apart in a bad way, that held them back, now God used it as testimony. Now they said, hey, look, if God can save me like the worst of all drug dealers, God can save you. If God can forgive me for the stuff that I did two years ago or last week or last night, he can forgive you. If God has a plan for my life, he's got a plan for your life. You understand that God can take your greatest shame of your past, the greatest thing that you're embarrassed of, the greatest thing that you want to hide, and if you will just take it before him and break it at his feet, he will turn your shame or your chains in to celebration. Pure worship takes your chains and turns it into celebration. Sometimes because of what he's done in your life, because of what he set you free from, your worship can be a little messy and it can be a little loud, but it's beautiful to him. And some of you need to know that. Maybe you're holding back in worship because well, I, if I really worship like I do privately at home, people would kind of look and they'd be you know, embarrassed. They might not ask me to come back to that church. Listen, as long as you're worshiping him with all your heart, I really don't care what it looks like on the outside because I understand, I know, and I can relate to this woman a little bit, that your worship can be a little messy and it can be a little loud. Her worship to Jesus was extremely messy. She's crying. She's got a puddle of, of this muddy stuff from her tears and the dirt on Jesus' feet and she's wiping it with her hair. Now her hair's all messed up and caked and she took her livelihood and she broke it and that bottle literally filled the room with that fragrance. Think about this. She, it's messy, it's loud, 
she breaks it at Jesus' feet. And sometimes, maybe some of you were raised in churches, you know, Catholic or Presbyterian or, or something that says, you know, hey, we're in church, you have to be quiet, you have to behave. If you make a noise, God will strike you dead. Listen, that's not true. That's not in the Bible. You can't find it anywhere. Old Testament people were loud. They danced before God. They made noise. New Testament people were loud. They danced before God. So, hey, listen, however you get a hold of God, that's what matters. And third, and I love this, there's a double dose of blessing. Verses 37 and 38. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask full of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair, and kissed her feet, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now look to verse 44 through 50. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, again, this very powerful, very uh, PhD in theology kind of a guy, do you see this woman? And this is a big slam, by the way, to, to Simon that Jesus gives. I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't kiss me when I came in, but from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were with him at the table began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Think about this. She takes the bottle of ointment, her livelihood. She spent a full year turning tricks on the corner, being a prostitute. She takes a full year's worth of that income that she was going to continue using in sin. She comes in the presence of Jesus and she smashes it and she anoints his feet and she's crying and she's wiping his feet with, with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And it's just this, and she's sobbing, just continually to sob. It's awkward for everybody else at the dinner table. It's weird. It's, it's inappropriate to everybody else. But to her, I can't hold it back anymore. I've got to, just like we said a while ago, the worship on the inside has got to come to the outside at some point. And this is what she's doing. This is her display, an outward display of an inward reaction Simon criticizes her but think about this that Simon Jesus really kind of puts it up in his face a little bit and he says Simon because in that day it was custom as some of you know when you entered someone's house they didn't have air conditioning and they didn't really perform personal hygiene very well so they uh, some people wore shoes some people didn't if you were poor you didn't most likely Jesus didn't and so as Jesus would travel from town to town there'd be mud there'd be dirt caked around his feet so whenever you come into anybody's house it doesn't matter the house but whenever you would come in the the lowest person in the house the servant would wash your feet as an act of uh, humility but also as an act of personal hygiene and cleanliness not only that they would wash your feet to kind of clean your feet off because they were dirty but they would also anoint your head with oil because that would help keep the bugs out and again they didn't take baths every day they didn't have you know suave shampoo or head and shoulder whatever you they didn't have that stuff and so their hair would wouldn't get washed for probably a couple days or weeks so that anointing that that ointment that oil would kind of help purify and clean their hair a little bit 
And also it's customary that when someone comes in, you greet them with a kiss. Hey, it's, we hug in America. We're a hugging people. And so instead of hugging, they kiss. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go out and kiss strangers, okay? That'll get you a lawsuit. But, but they would kiss. And Jesus says, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't do anything. Now, think about this. Simon is insulting Jesus. He's what we might call in America passive-aggressive. Simon says, I'm going to throw a big honor for Jesus. Look at what a great guy I am. I think he's kind of a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a shyster, but I'm going to throw an honor for him. So Jesus, why don't you and your 12 disciples come, and I'll throw an honor and a banquet for you. And I think really all the time, Simon's poking fun at him. How do you know that? Because Simon didn't even show him the slightest courtesy when he entered his home. This is customary. This is just no matter who you are, no matter what home you go to, folks, this is just basic courtesy. Simon doesn't even have the audacity to show him the slightest courtesy or appreciation of welcoming into his home. And therefore, by not doing that, it's an insult. By not showing, it's like, well, you've invited me in your home, but now you're giving me the cold shoulder the whole time, and you're just flat out being rude to me. So do you want me here or not? Simon wanted to say, I invited you into my home, Jesus. Isn't that good enough? No, it's not, Simon. Because here's the problem with you. Your worship or your act of, of, of worship, your act of hospitality to me is really hollow platitudes. You say it with your mouth, oh, come to my house, Jesus, but your actions speak far from it. Oh, Jesus, I love you and I'm a great admirer of you. Would you come into my house and recline at my table? I'll throw you a feast. But yet when I'm in the room, when I come in, it's like you ignore me. It's like you think I'm a third-class citizen. There are a lot of Christians and a lot of people who say, oh, I love Jesus, oh, I believe in the Bible, oh, God's good. It's hollow platitudes. It's worthless worship. They can say it all day, but it doesn't mean anything. And there's other people in the room who say, I don't know the church protocol, I don't know how church goes, I don't really know how the proper way to pray is, I can't recite the Lord's Prayer, I can't recite the Apostles' Creed, I can't even quote from the Bible, all I can tell you is, last week I was messed up, last week or last year or six years ago, whatever it is, my life was so pathetic that only Christ could save me, and now that He has, I'll never forget it, I'll never let go, and I don't want to bottle up the worship anymore, I want it to explode onto Him. Simon merely gave Jesus hollow platitudes, but the woman doused him in worship. The question for you today is, which are you? Are you the critic? Hollow platitudes? Or are you dousing him with your worship? It's one or the other. You can't be both. Are you the critic in the room that criticizes other people and how they worship and, and how they you know, go on about their testimony and, and how what God did in their life? And you kind of criticize and and chastise them and kind of look down your righteous nose at them? You just give hollow platitudes to God and criticize other people? Or are you like this woman who you might not know all the proper protocols and the do's and the don'ts of church, but it really doesn't matter to you because all you want to do is get in the place where he is and just douse him with your worship. You don't care whose house you are. You don't care where the church is. If you're in your car at church in a Bible study or you're eating dinner with some friends, you don't care. All you care about is being in his presence wherever he is, there you want to be. And when you're in the room with him, you don't give him hollow platitudes or criticize. You douse him with your worship. You pour it out. And when you think about this as well, the room was literally filled with the aroma of that fragrance. 
this entire room filled with that aroma. Everybody could smell it. I mean, it was strong. It was a whole bottle, you know, a whole, whole flask worth of this perfume. It was the most expensive you could possibly buy. Everybody in the room could smell her worship, but only two people got to experience it. You see, everybody could smell her love for God. They could smell that beautiful aroma, and I'm sure even these holy righteous wannabes could smell and say, man, that smells beautiful. Oh, it smells so nice. But yet there's only two people who left the room smelling like that fragrance. And that was Jesus and this woman. You can come into a church like this, Bible study in your own private life, whatever the case is, you can smell other people's worship. I don't mean literally, but you can be in a room and say, man, I, I just like to see them worship, and boy, I wish I could do that. And, and, and you can experience some of those things. But yet there's only two people who leave blessed. This woman left blessed. How? Her sins, which were many. Jesus doesn't deny the fact. Listen, Jesus doesn't, doesn't uh, he's not politically correct. He's not going to cover it up or sugarcoat it and say, well, hey, that's her only livelihood. Let's cut her a break. Let's be compassionate. Let's be sympathetic. No, Jesus says, yes, she's a sinner, Simon. Yes, her sins are many. Yeah, she's unclean. Yeah, she's a prostitute. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know what she was doing last night. I can only imagine. But I don't really care what she did last night. All I care about is what she's doing now. And what you're doing now is criticizing, but what she's doing now is worshiping. She leaves blessed because all of her sins are forgiven in an instant. You see, true worship, pure worship is, is yes, it's for him, it's to him, it's about him. We've talked about that. But really, also at the end of the day, it blesses you as well. And some of you need to know that, that, that your worship, when you worship Him, that it isn't just for Him, although it is, it also blesses you. Because when you leave His presence, you leave doused in that. And you've got to imagine her hair, although it was messed up, although it was nasty, although it was kind of caked in this dirt, mud, and her own tears, and it had the smell of that ointment. But the rest of that day, and the rest of probably the days to follow, everywhere she went, she could realize that the dirt in my hair, it may look messy to you, but it's worship to me. It may be nasty to you, but I can smell his fragrance. Jesus, for the rest of those days, everywhere he went, looking at his feet, realizing that my feet smell like her worship. Simon couldn't say that. The disciples couldn't say that. Only the woman and Jesus. When you leave the place today, could that be said of you? I didn't come in and just give God hollow platitudes and go through the motions like I do every Sunday. No, I came in today and I doused him with my praise. I doused him with my worship because of what he's done in my life. I don't care what the critics say in my life. I don't care what the enemy says. I'm here for one reason, and that is to worship him and bless him. And then when you leave, you leave blessed. You leave favored by God, blessed by God. And most importantly, he leaves blessed. He leaves magnified. He leaves glorified and honored. Worship has very little, if anything, to do with music, but it has everything to do with your heart. This woman teaches us that, and Simon teaches us this. The room was filled with the aroma of her worship, but only two people really experienced it, and two people left smelling like it. What would be said of you today? Matt, the worship team will come back and begin to play.
Priceless worship is the courage to worship in a room full of critics. Priceless worship takes your chains and turns it into celebration. And priceless worship gives a double dose of blessing because you bless him and the more you bless him, the more he blesses you. How do you know that? Well, Jesus just said that. He who has sinned much is forgiven much. He who loves little is forgiven little. Is it hollow platitudes or dousing with worship? Do you let the critics stop you for worship or do you just want to be in his presence? Worship's between you and him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for this woman. We don't know her name. The other places that this happened in the Gospels, it was Mary. Similar accounts, but this happened twice to you. Your response is the same. All you care about is not whose house you're in. You don't care how fancy their house is. You don't care about the PhD that they have hanging on the wall. You don't care what they were doing last night. All you care about is the condition of their heart. Are they here to give you hollow platitudes? Are they here to worship? With every head bowed today, we don't want to end any of our services without giving anybody an opportunity to respond to what God may be working on your heart while I've been talking today. As I've been preaching, maybe there's been something in your life that's kind of been nudging you, kind of been stirring in you, saying, hey, this is for you. And I would just say to you in all love that that's God working on your heart. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to him, people used to say give your heart to Jesus, but he wants much more than just our heart. He wants it all. If you're here and you've never given your entire life to him, or maybe you have, but it was years and years and years ago, and since then, just to be honest with yourself, you're not living for him, you're not honoring him, and just to be blunt and to be honest in love, you're living in sin. If you died in this moment, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. It is my duty and my responsibility as a pastor to say, I beg of you, do not walk out those doors playing jeopardy with your life. You can walk out today knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt the answer to that question. And more than that, which is the greatest of all, knowing where you'll spend eternity, but, but there's not just when you die benefits, there's benefits today. That when you walk out of here, you can know what real forgiveness is. You can know what real joy is. You can know what real peace is in your life. You haven't been able to sleep in a full night since you can't remember when. I'm telling you, if you give your life to Christ, tonight can be the night where you can have peace and you can sleep. You can have joy that you've never experienced. If that's you and you want to make your way to the front right now, I'll be here to pray with you. Other people will pray with you as well. If you want to do that right now, don't wait. Maybe you're here and, and you say, Brian, that's good. I just, I want to talk to somebody. I got some questions. I got some things I need to talk with someone about. There was a guy in the Bible in John 3 named Nicodemus. He was a religious guy. He was the same thing. He had these conversations with Jesus. It wasn't just a one instant thing. But if that's you, if you want to fill out that connection card and I'd love to take you out to lunch or coffee or whatever your convenience this week, maybe right after church today, I'd love to talk with you. 
But I am begging you, do not walk out those doors without making some sort of decision. As I pray, if you would do that. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this woman in Luke 7. We can't wait to meet her. What a, what a bold, awesome woman she was. We're thankful that we serve a God that isn't like Simon, the religious man, who judges on what we've done in our past. We serve a God who says, yeah, I know about your past, but I'll forgive you today if you'll break that thing before me. If you'll give your life to me, I'll forgive you. You can start over. You can start fresh. Thank you. Father, for those of us in the room that have never given our life to you, or they have, but it was years ago, right now they'd make that decision. They'd come to the front or they'd fill out that connection card, but they wouldn't leave without making that decision right now in this moment. And as they're making that decision, Father, I pray that for the rest of us who call ourselves Christians, Lord, that we would be so careful to never be like a Simon. That our life becomes so holy, it becomes so clean, it becomes so righteous in our own eyes that we begin to criticize other people. Instead of welcoming, we shun. Instead of celebrate, we bind them. No, let us be like you. We thank you, Father. Teach us to worship. Teach us to have priceless, pure worship like this woman, a prostitute. We're so thankful, Father, that you know our past, but you are the one that changes us. You are the one that forgives us. Father, today I pray that there be every person in this room, they'd be willing to take that thing that once brought them shame, once alienated them, that they're hiding, they've never told anybody, they're embarrassed about, and they would break it at your feet today. And Father, you'll take that pain and that hurt and that shame and you'll turn it into celebration. Only you can do that. Teach us to worship when others criticize. And Father, as we worship you, you continue to bless us. We love you and we thank you and we're nothing without you. Now, Father, I thank you for every person that is here today. I ask that you would bless them. Father, I ask that you would keep your hand of protection on them, keep them safe. I ask that you would bless them at their homes and their families, that the sweet aroma of the Holy Spirit and of worship would dwell in their homes, dwell in their marriage, dwell in their family. They'd have a hunger for you in their home. Your presence would rest in their home. May you bless them in the public place, whether that's at school or at work, wherever they go, may you bless them. Give them favor in the eyes of their boss and their coworkers to stand up and stand out for you. Let them be the salt and light in a dark and decaying world that you called us to be. Help them not to compromise the truth of your word. Father, may you bless us as a church to be a biblically healthy, fruit-producing church that changes lives in our community through the power of your presence and worship, through solid biblical teaching and living and a biblical worldview, and the passion to reach and serve the lost that don't know you. Father, we love you and we thank you. We give this day to you. Holy Spirit, may you continue with this message and this passage to work on our heart the rest of this week. We love you and we thank you and we're nothing without you. Teach us to have priceless worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, well, I love you. Good to see everybody today. Hope you have a blessed day and uh, we will see you next week. Have a blessed day.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.